Well, hello there, it's Phil Ryan, and here you are again at the Story High podcast. Now, as you know, we're very proud to be the home of amazing stories, short stories. We get in, we get out. We try to entertain you briefly. We know how busy people can be nowadays, but we think just escaping for a bit with a good story is a lovely way to start or even end your day. Now, in today's first part of our selection, we've got a little twisty story, and it's called The Children's Entertainer. And as I said, there's a bit of a twist. So happy listening. Hello, Mr Tickles, the children screamed. One small boy hysterically falling forwards onto his hands. Such was the force he'd screamed at. The garden was long and narrow. The tall modern house casting a thin shadow down its length. The sun being virtually at its median point. Balloons hung limply in the airless afternoon. Bright bunting strung overhead in a crisscross of lines running from the large patio area and the words Happy Birthday William spelled out in glittery sheets pinned to the side of a garden building. To call it a shed would have done it a disservice. It was the ultimate home entertainment module according to its designers featuring a state-of-the-art film projector and a small but fully functioning bar and currently It contained the parents and carers of the 20 or so small children who now sat on a large ground sheet in front of the man in the clown costume. I can't hear you, Mr Tickles theatrically announced, holding his white-gloved hand to his ear and waving a huge yellow plastic hand with Happy Birthday William printed onto it. As the children once again roared at him, their tiny faces covered with delight. In the ultimate home entertainment module, Grateful parents and carers sipped their chilled Prosecco, watching from behind the large glass windows, the air conditioning on full blast. Mr Tickles honked a horn. Who wants to see some magic? he yelled, effortlessly producing an enormous paper flower bouquet from under his tiny red bowler hat and then staggering back in mock surprise at its appearance. A little girl shrieked piercingly, her small mouth stretched wide, whilst in the ultimate home entertainment module, her mother greedily swallowed a huge piece of Colin the Caterpillar birthday cake, one of four on display. It was going well, Mr Tickles thought. Nothing that surprising there. He knew he was very good at his job, and he had been for five years now, since leaving theatre school. He had a knack for it, and he knew his client group very well, having trained with the original Mr Tickles before his early retirement from diabetes. It was supposed to have been a temporary thing, through a friend of a friend, but it has saved his life financially, considering after the short run of Mice and Men and the touring Christmas Carol under study stuff, work had suddenly got very thin on the ground. His friend had accidentally met Mr Tickles in an online chat forum, which he suspiciously never specified, but the upshot was that he'd then gone to meet him, the original Mr Tickles, and they'd struck a deal. And all in all, it had been a very good arrangement, considering how long the original Mr Tickles had been doing it. The deal consisting of a small lump sum of £5,000, his entire client lists and contacts, and an agreement of 10% off the top, back to the original Mr Tickles in his first year of taking over. And plus, all the props thrown in. Even better, the hands-on training with pay as his assistant, Mr Wiggles, for six months, 
and then the gradual taking on of the website and social media. Apart from the slight height and age difference, no one could actually tell it wasn't the original Mr Tickles at all. And they'd both found out that the parents generally didn't care. As long as their little darlings were distracted for three hours, they'd stump up ridiculous sums without even batting an eyelid. As the original Mr Tickles had said, we have all the power here, if you think about it. You just have to see the gratitude on their faces when you arrive and they can hand over their children. And plus, if we deliver and the reviews are good, which they always seem to be, everyone's a winner, right? It was true. And the business was amazing, not seasonal in any way. His diary virtually full every week, including weekends. Their secret weapon, a series of rotating shows with different costumes, props and scripts, all carefully designed by the original Mr Tickles. They could turn up with kids that had already seen the show three weeks earlier and present something completely different. It was a masterstroke of genius. And, best of all, the parents trusted the brand. They wrote glowing reviews, took endless videos and pictures, only right at the end, naturally. They were glorified and highly paid babysitters, in effect, providing harassed, comfortably off adults with a three-hour window of pleasant drinking and eating, unfettered or bothered by their beloved offspring in any way, shape or form whatsoever. He looked at the group in front of him. They were virtually indistinguishable from yesterday's children. Nicely dressed, privileged, happy and seemingly innocent. And they were thankfully absorbed and willing participants in the now receiving plastic toys and fruit sticks with expressions of being given Rolexes. Hmm. The only kid not engaging was the little blonde boy at the back in the weird stained red and white shirt. Well, he thought, you couldn't win them all. Not every time. It happened sometimes. He never really ever had any trouble. And he was amazed at that. But as the original Mr Tickles had said... They were generally well-brought-up kids, plus the parents were in the spotlight in front of other parents. Of course you occasionally got the odd one, but you could ignore them generally, just skirt around whatever their problems were. Usually sickness, lack of sleep, or just being weird. Plus there are, there are a lot of these on-the-spectrum kids, he said, in this class group, you know, loads of them. And to be fair, well, all of them, they were also just little kids. Their average age was six to eight which meant they were almost grateful that an adult seemed to be paying them such close attention. Plus, it was great fun. You got squirted with water. You had paper confetti streaming around you. And also, he generally liked the kids. They were often lovely little things. He'd always wanted a kid of his own, actually very badly. But Nicky leaving him had put an end to that hope for now. <sighs> he felt his legs give a little and he pretended to fall over, and the children screamed in delight, the vodka of the morning slightly kicking in now. The drinking, that had started last year. The result of the breakup, Nicky walking out, taking everything, his future, his savings, his dignity. Five freaking years. Five years together. And then, bam, out of the blue, she'd come out with it. She'd met someone else, and if he was honest, had all of that to the ongoing disappointment in his agent for not getting any proper work. And apart from that tomato juice commercial in January, he was screwed. Ooh. He wobbled again and the children yelled, 
all apart from the blonde-haired poppet at the back. Yeah, he'd remained pretty disengaged from the off. He just stared at him, fixedly. Ah, that was fine, he thought. There's always an odd one out. Probably not popular with the other kids, sometimes like a peer or a bedwetter. I know. Time for the rabbits. And lifting his table into place, it was grand finale time. He looked up, the children all smiling. The blonde-haired kid, just still staring at him, his little face serious, devoid of any emotion. Probably autistic or something, he thought. And then he hit the reveal music on his portable stereo. On the forms, he always asked if any of the children had any special needs or fears or phobias or allergies. And he could see people like that. That level of attention, they said it was professional and thoughtful too. And the reviews often reflected it. Hmm. On this one, they hadn't listed any kids with issues. Hey-ho, on we go, he thought. His mouth now very dry and his back ate, a banging sensation now thudding at his temples. Thank God this show's going to be over soon. He had a bottle of scotch in the car, in the glove box, like always, hopefully. He sighed heavily, just a few more tricks and then he could get going. Just get home, he thought. Just get home. Get a drink and then crash out. But right now, it was time to wrap up the show. Children ran around, some running up the path, parents now collecting them, and Mr Tickles waved to everyone. The payment had already been made online, and he quickly put his props into his big wheelie bag. He'd been thanked, had pictures taken, shaken hands, and now he thought, at last, he could go home. The air was warm, and the effort of performing always took it out of him. It wasn't as easy as people thought, he said. You really had to work at it, or the kids could tell. So far, no one had seen the drink wobbles, but he felt he covered his tracks pretty well. Yeah, home time. Now, he'd parked around the corner, and as he walked, his legs felt like lead. The prop bag heavy, and his head now aching even more, as he trundled it along behind him. Right, he thought. Now, where was I? Then he saw his Volvo outside that green painted house. Yeah, he remembered it now. Big, expensive looking, huge plant pots in terracotta on two columns and he carefully crossed the road stopping as he reached the pavement there it was his car Hmm? the blonde kid from the party was now standing in front of it on the road what the hell he thought he looked around how had the little sod got out whoa he must have got out of that side gate and just followed him where the hell were the parents he moved closer the kid didn't move He just stood and stared at him and he didn't say a word. And he saw his shirt, that strange pattern, red and white. And Mr Tickles blinked. It appeared to be wet, dripping with something, red paint, food colouring. He shook his head. What the fuck? The boy just stood and looked at him and then mutely pointed to the front of his car. The dent, the indentation on his lower grill. It had been yesterday, late, coming back from that party or the pub. He couldn't quite remember. He'd been pretty wasted. Then he'd got lost somehow, his head muzzy, all turned around. He was really angry, frustrated, thinking about Nicky, his life, the kids. And he'd floored the car in annoyance as he'd driven by the park. He'd seen a 
brief flash of white, felt an impact. He'd hit a bollard. Oh, fuck. Thank God there were no cameras around. That would be the end of it. The money, the bookings. And he'd slowed his car immediately, driving very carefully now, and just got the hell away as fast as he could. Yeah, just get home, he thought. Just get home. And then it all came back to him. That wasn't a bollard he'd hit. The alcohol leaving his system in an instant. He remembered now. The scream, the shouts. And he looked into the boy's eyes, now seeing the cracked skull, the shattered body, the blood. And then he saw the two approaching policemen and everything went black. Well, you've probably worked out that things sometimes in the stories aren't quite all they seem, which is actually like life sometimes. Dark and light, that's just reality. Anyway, here comes the second story. And this is a bit of a gear change because it's a very sweet and happy one. And it's actually called The Lightning Bolt. And if you're going to go out dating, I think you're going to love this story. He felt a familiar feeling. Disappointment. They'd arranged to meet at 2.30. And now it was 20 past three. He got a side booth. The Mulberry Bush was a lovely pub. He'd never been there before. It was bright and airy. And outside the sun fitfully broke through the clouds. It wasn't far from the River Thames, a few hundred yards in fact. And the pub was set back on the road, just running along behind the south bank. He looked at his phone again. Nothing. She clearly wasn't coming. And he sighed, a deep sigh from far inside his heart. He was a nice bloke. Everyone said so. Nothing special, but decent and normal. Maria, that had been her name, she seemed so keen in her messages. Online dating, an absolute roulette wheel, he knew. If he was honest, he didn't much like being on the site. The thought, People judging him just on a photo and five lines didn't seem very nice. But beggars couldn't be choosers, that's what he said. He'd moved to London two years past, coming up from Hastings, and he didn't really know anybody. Just some work colleagues at the college. In fact, it was Jim, the other maths teacher, he told him about the site. It was easy for him, though. He was tall, with a big floppy blonde mop of hair. Plus, he was very fit, a marathon runner. Barry, he'd never been happy with his shape. In fact, he was the spitting image of his dad. That's what his sister Cathy said. And it was true. He was a short, slightly round sort of bloke. Stocky, really. Thinning hair and wire-framed glasses. It wasn't like he didn't try. He went to the gym twice a week and rode his bike. Hmm. But that wouldn't make him taller, he felt. Just more solid, in truth. Which he was. He glanced around the pub. He'd ordered some chips just to pass the time. He couldn't resist them. He'd seen some being delivered to another table. And now he finished the last one, and music played distantly from the speakers. The atmosphere in the place, very nice, very relaxed. But his half of beer was hardly touched. There was a couple sat at the next table, giggling and holding hands and kissing. And beyond them, another smiling pair, the guy holding a squirming baby as his adoring partner took pictures with a phone. And Barry sighed again. <sighs> it wasn't a lot to ask, really, was it? 
just a nice girl to share his days. He, he'd be attentive and listen. He, he knew he would. And then a slightly disconcerting memory of Di, his last girlfriend from six years ago, briefly flitted across his mind. They'd gone out for three years, at least. And they talked about moving in a few times, but they never quite made it. Her job constantly moving around. and It had been good, though, he thought. Yeah, good. But Di didn't agree. Then she announced one day she'd been offered a better job in Scotland and she was going to take it. And then she rather cruelly added she'd met someone else on a course at a company. And that was that. She was gone. In ten minutes. Bam. He'd only had two other women in his life. They'd been very brief relationships, barely a year or two. And they both just drifted away. Barry knew he wasn't boring. Yeah, he knew that. He just wished he could be more dynamic. But he couldn't be. He was just himself. A bit quiet, shy in a way. But something had always been missing. And he knew it. He hadn't ever felt in love. Not really, if he was honest with himself. And he remembered an old film where this bloke had talked about being hit with a lightning bolt when he met the woman in the film. Instant love. Bam. True love. Romance. Happiness. But Barry knew. He was sure he'd never been in love. But he knew he wanted to be. He wanted to meet someone. To, to love someone. Someone wonderful. Someone at all. Hence the online dating. He glanced at his phone, Maria's profile. No message, nothing. She obviously wasn't coming and there was no real point in staying now. And he didn't want to finish his beer, his tummy tight now, a familiar sadness creeping over him. And now he wearily picked up his scarf and slid along the bench to the one side of the table. And as he stood up, he began heading for the large entranceway. He'd just reached for the door when a girl violently tugged it open from the other side, almost dragging him forwards. And she stared in his face for a second. Oh, I'm really sorry. I really am. The bloody train got stuck in a tunnel. Of course, no signal. She waved her phone at him, clearly slightly out of breath. And no announcements. So we all sat there like friggin' lemons for 20 minutes. <laughs> Typical, huh? Barry was completely thrown, and he stood there now, unsure what to do, uh, was the best he could manage. And the girl smiled brilliantly, her face nice, he thought, kind and open, expressive. And she stepped towards him. P please don't go. L let Just sit. Look, I'm really sorry I kept you waiting. I, I ran all the way. Her eyes were blue, piercing, and she looked very different to her profile picture. Please? She smiled again, her whole face now bright. And Barry gathered himself, still uncertain as what to say. The sadness almost instantly fading. Oh, f fine, yeah, yeah, of course, fine, yeah. She grabbed his arm. You're an utter star, you are. And now following her, she found a table at the back of the pub. And she sat down heavily, plonking a large tote bag onto the seat next to her. And she suddenly sprung up. No, 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 you sit there. I'll get them in. It's the least I can do after keeping you hanging around all day. Honestly, what am I like? Oh, do you like cider? And he nodded. Great, she said. Me too. Before he could respond, 
She clattered over to the bar, her boot heels clacking on the polished wooden floor. And now he breathed in. Suddenly he glanced at a bag, a scarf poking out the top. Wrapped around it was some sort of ID badge. And it had a picture on, and underneath it it read, Jody Hutton. What? His mind raced. This, this wasn't Maria. He pulled his phone out. He looked at her profile. No, it wasn't her. This was some other girl. And now his heart froze. And he peered again, but he couldn't make out what the past was for, which company. What had just happened? Oh my God. She'd obviously confused him with someone else that was coming. This was crazy. But then Barry felt terrible. He'd effectively gone along with it. What was he thinking? God, this was just creepy. Impersonating someone effectively, false advertising or something. The poor girl. He'd have to confess, tell her the truth. Anyway, whoever she was supposed to meet would probably arrive any minute. And he stared at the door. No, no one. The street outside, Sunday afternoon empty. Not a soul in sight. Quiet. But he felt his stomach churn again. He'd, he'd have to say something. And now she reappeared with the train. It had crisps and two pints on. And her eyes were lively. And she shook her head. You can't have a drink without something to soak it up, yeah? I've ordered some chips as well. I'm sorry. I can't resist them. And now he drew a deep breath. He'd have to tell her. The misunderstanding. And suddenly, she reached over and squeezed his arm. It's really lovely of you to wait for me. I mean, 20 minutes late. I should be shot. And she gave a throaty laugh. 20 minutes late? His mind raced. Well, she must have been on a date too. That was obvious, but if she was meeting someone, where were they? Had they left already? Were they late too? And he glanced around. Every table full, couples, families and small groups. And now she picked up a glass and clinked it against his. Cheers. Then she paused. It's a bit weird, this, right? He looked puzzled. You know this online dating stuff? Barry nodded vehemently and said it was indeed a bit weird. But then before he could continue, her face clouded with concern and she suddenly looked horrified. Oh, oh God, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean you're weird and now you're, you're not. He smiled and waved his hand. She was lovely and she clutched her chest. Sorry, her cheeks went red. I'm just a bit nervous. Oh God, what am I like? But Barry reassured it was fine. It was unusually said, but then he added how nice the pub was. And she seemed grateful for his diversion, smiled again. Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. I came here last, ooh, last year on the works do. Oh, really, he said. Uh, you weren't local then? And the girl nodded. Oh, yeah, the hospital's just up the way. And Barry noted it immediately. Hospital. Ah, the lanyard and the ID. NHS, she worked in the hospital. And he now mentally filed the information. Oh, uh, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm Barry, Barry Jenkins. She giggled again with another, Oh God, what am I like? I I'm Jody, she said. Jody Hutton. Very nice to meet you, Barry. And he felt relief. She hadn't questioned his name. Plus, whoever she was meeting clearly wasn't coming. He knew how these things were. And then she stretched her arms, shoving him out dramatically. Oh, oh, sorry about this, Barry. Late shift yesterday, I'm on intensive care. And Barry shook his head supportively, guessing she must be exhausted. And that's why she'd forgotten the other bloke's name. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yes, those late shifts, they're ooh, funny on the old clock, they must be. And she smiled. You're telling me, love. 
Her eyes searched his face. Do you know, sometimes I'm not sure what day it is. And Barry cut in quickly. Well, I'm pretty sure it's Sunday, I think. And now she giggled, her shoulders moving up and down. Well, I've only got your word, but you look like an honest man. And now he blushed, thinking of his current deceit. But then he recovered himself. I can provide complete references, Jodie, he said, carefully adding her name again. And now she laughed, her face one big smile. Suddenly, she glanced towards the bar. I'm sorry, Barry, but I do need those chips. And she waved to someone and gave a thumbs up, her smile bright again. And now he relaxed a lot. This was nice, but he knew he'd have to say something about the mistake at some point. And now she sipped her drink. And suddenly, she caught his eye. Look, she shrugged. I'm sorry, I'm just hopeless at this stuff. You're in? She trailed off, her eyebrows raised expectantly, and Barry froze. Oh, oh God, no. She'd figure him out now. He had no idea what the bloke she was supposed to be meeting did. Now he looked away, avoiding her eyes. Um, you know, I'm in college, you know, teaching. Jodie nodded now, rolling her eyes. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, teaching. I'm rubbish at this. I can't quite remember anything. What am I like? My brain, eh? And she pulled a funny face. Oh, teaching, that's nice for you. Must be very rewarding. And Barry now sat back in relief and she made a low noise in her throat. But, but, but look, honestly, about this online dating stuff, it's, it's a bit naff, don't you think? I know we're doing it in that, but still. And he felt his chest tighten again. What should he say? And then he made his mind up. He'd come clean now, it was for the best. She seemed so nice. And he began to clear his throat. Well, well, look, I'm, I'm actually not a fan, but about the, but before he could say anything else, she clinked his glass. Well, I don't mind telling you, Barry, and I'm going to tell you, I deleted my profile this morning. And a flash of sadness crossed her face. It just got a bit much, you know, people not turning up. And she suddenly reached out anxiously and patted his shoulder. Well, not you, obviously, but, well, you know. Barry felt his heart ache, the look on her face. He'd seen it on his own, many times in the mirror at home. That sadness, pure and bright. Disappointment, so many times. And now he nodded. Well, I'm glad we're here, Jodie, and, well, I'm just very glad, that's all. And he stumbled to a finish. And the look she gave him almost made him tear up. It was pure happiness. The whole face suddenly one huge smile. Well, I'm really glad too. She paused, her face expectant, looking directly into his eyes. He was momentarily confused. And then he understood. His name. She'd forgotten it. Again, a relief flooded through him. Uh, Barry? Barry Jenkins, he said, with an amused tone. And she fell against his shoulder, giggling again. What am I like? I'm so sorry, Barry. Am I the most rubbish girl ever, right? And now they both laughed, Barry feeling her warmth against him. And the next hours just flew by. They chatted away, giggling and laughing, Jody breaking to fits every now and again at one of his jokes, saying, what am I like? And the pub got busier. And then they had dinner at nine. Jody was an intensive care nurse, she said. Her parents from Cornwall, had an older sister and a cat called Marmalade, and a car was called Jeff, a 10-year-old golf. And Barry sipped his third half of lager, just drinking her in. She was absolutely wonderful. 
and a warm glow settled deep inside him. Until suddenly a bell rang and a young waitress came over. Oh, I I I'm sorry, but we're closing up in 10 minutes and, well, if you wouldn't mind. And Jodie waved her hand in the air. No, don't worry, love, we're just leaving. Uh, chew, Barry. Waterloo okay? And Barry grinned and said, absolutely, although he actually wanted Vauxhall. He hadn't felt so happy in ages. In fact, he thought, he'd never felt like this before in his life. And he fumbled for his scarf, tugging his jacket on, and Jodie gathered a big bag and coat. And soon they found themselves strolling by the Thames, the bright lights of the South Bank Centre glittering on the dark water's surface, the air quiet and still. He glanced up. It was 11.15 by the clock on the Oxo Tower, and he'd never walked slower in his entire life. He didn't want the evening to end. She was absolutely blooming wonderful, he thought. And that night when he got back home, he couldn't remember what they talked about, not at all. But he did remember what she'd said and what he'd said when she'd headed for the train. I've, I've had a lovely time, Barry. And he quickly replied, me too. And then she'd given him a smile, almost half anxious, and pressed a card into his hand. Uh, it's my, my numbers and stuff, you know, if, if you wanted to. And he remembered precisely what happened next. In fact, he never forgot it. He held her hand and he said, I'm calling you, Jodie Hutton. You can bank on that. As my old grand said, if you find a blooming treasure, you don't let it go. You just don't. Her eyes opened wide, and now he looked at his feet in embarrassment. Oh, God. Jesus, what a stupid, cheesy thing to say. And he was about to speak again to apologise. And that's when she kissed him, holding tightly to her for a good long while. And he felt the lightning bolt. The wedding was in June. It didn't rain, and Jodie was ten minutes late. Now, I was rather proud of that ending, and lots of people have actually emailed us to tell us how much they really liked it, and I hope you did. What am I like? Anyway, as I often say, writing, for me anyway, is a place that you can just get lost. And what I want, if I can, is to encourage everybody that listens to this is give it a bash. Just one evening. Don't listen to music or watch the TV. Just sit there with a laptop or a pad or a notepad or something. But here's a little exercise. Try writing a letter, yeah, a letter to a friend, J just for fun. But then post it to them. Yeah, really, stick it in the post. People hardly ever get letters. I don't know, maybe tell them a memory, tell them how much you think they're brilliant. Whatever, I think it's a really lovely thing to do. And it exercises you as a person writing because it really makes you think. Anyway, here's the final story today. And it's called Signorina Bettini's story. It's from the September in Rome collection. And it's in Rome, there's the clue. And it's got some pretty snarky put-downs, Ciabella. So anyway, off we go. She carefully pulled her hairbrush through the few grey strands. Once it had been lustrous brown, like chocolate, she thought. And she made an instant mental note. 
pop into the hairdressers the next day. Gina could do wonders. And best of all, she kept her clients' confidences. The circle of bulbs around the mirror hummed faintly. Her bedroom dressing table scattered with makeup. And there, in its silver frame, her favourite photograph of her younger self. La Boheme, 1968. Her first major opera role. Teatro dell'Opera di Roma. Their newest star. She dabbed at her cheek with her rouge brush. Careful, she thought. It's for lunch, not Puccini. And sitting upright in front of the mirror, she stared fiercely at her reflection. Not bad. Not bad at all. Her plastic surgeon, Senior Faulkner of Chicago, due, in part, some credit. She heard Rosa answering the phone in the guest lounge, and pausing only to flick an errant hair into place, she carefully arranged her scarf around her throat. Necks were tricky things, mm, best hidden. As she entered from the long hallway, the middle-aged man turned to his companion. Bravo, he said, and the young man repeated it with more gusto. And Signorina Bettini waved an affected hand, as if to say, no, no, really, it's all too much. She was theatrical. She couldn't help it. It was her way. It was so sweet of Massimo, her manager, to still be so flattering, even after all these years. But he'd been a brilliant manager, and almost as importantly, an astute investor of her earnings. Thanks to him, she lived very well. She instantly recognised the young man. Ah, he was the new tenor she'd read so much about. Massimo had an eye for talent, and he'd groomed the handsome young man very well. Leonardo uh, Varese, yes. That was his name, and they chatted amiably as she sipped her iced tea. She actually felt tired. It must have been the heat. But this lunch was a welcome distraction, not to mention the handsome young tenor. The car was sent for, and in no time at all, they were on their way to the Ristorante di Roma, Massimo's favourite hangout. It was near the Colosseum, and she'd actually once sung there, in an impromptu moment for the President himself. It had been a special gala night, and they'd all ended up in the restaurant. Her head spun momentarily. Oh, blast this memory. When, when, when was it? She, she forgot lots of things these days, and she knew she could have asked Massimo, but she didn't like to worry him. He was always on at her. Take it easy, take it easy. But she couldn't help herself. But the memory of that night danced brightly in her head. She stood up and sang, no accompaniment, and the place had gone crazy. It had been in all the papers. She dabbed at her throat with a tiny handkerchief. Oh, this heat, she thought. September heat, Rome. It wasn't uncommon. But that wasn't helping. Massimo must have noticed, kind man as he said something to Angelo about the air conditioning, and to her relief, the temperature appreciatively dropped just a few degrees. 
Leonardo was saying something about her time at the academy, her master classes. He'd attended one, he said. They'd been eight years ago, she thought. And since then, she'd completely retired from all public life. It suited her in a way. Plus, though she hated the thought, she was yesterday's person. That was the industry, and she demurred to it, shamefully leaving an opening for young Leonardo to praise her some more. So what? Her best days were behind her, and she knew it. Her last lover had been three years ago, an impressionable young German alto, Wolfgang, like the composer. He'd been very vigorous, but he'd gone back to Bremen eventually, as she knew he would. And though the old desire occasionally flickered within her, she had changed, and she knew it. Age. And her doctor. He'd been very discreet. There were medications, but she turned him down flat. To be honest, she'd had her fill of men. It was easier now, just her and the staff. No complications, no heartbreak. And besides, she'd had a wonderful time. Back in the old days, in her prime, the papers full of her. The car suddenly lurched to a stop. Tourists, she heard Massimo chuckle. He made some comment about Rome being history, and those who came to see history were tourists. And she pointedly ignored him. He was such a snob sometimes. She stared out of the window. She loved the city. She'd been born on the coast, uh, an only child, her father a baker, her mother a devoted housewife and mama. And an image of their tiny house in Frigeni came to her, up the hill, looking towards the sea. She'd grown up on the beach, her parents used to say, but Rome had called to her, and she'd been sent to a private school. It had been difficult, the others from more privileged backgrounds, but she'd held her own. And then came the singing lessons and the rest was history. They moved off again as Massimo's phone rang, and he chatted animatedly and then finished his call. Would they mind a very brief detour? There, there was an interview, the radio, for Leonardo, short notice, no more than a half an hour, and she flicked her head in gracious assent. At least she hoped they'd see it that way. She had meant to make a witty comment when a sharp pain... It stabbed through her back, but she'd masked it well. It happened occasionally. The doctor knew all about it. Trapped nerves, he said. Massimo did fuss whenever she seemed to mention any ailment, so she thought it best to remain silent. Angelo smoothly turned the big Mercedes around and headed back along the Via Silavia. He was a good man. He'd been her driver for over 25 years now. And like all her staff, he knew when to become... Deaf and blind. Loyalty. A rare thing nowadays, she thought. But they were all paid very well. She'd always been terrible with money. But Massimo had changed that. He bought properties, businesses, art. And he knew what he was doing. In a way, he'd benefited himself. At her peak, her fees were astronomical and the record sales and television appearances equal as lucrative, and he'd taken his cut fairly, and thanks to him, she could indulge herself. 
the villa in Tuscany her only real extravagance. The food and fine wines, necessities, along with her clothes and beauty treatments. It seemed it was to be a radio interview for Rye Radio, the mainstream station. An old contact of Massimo's coming through for him. Leonardo was going to get some much-needed exposure, and they were all shepherded into a large reception room. She pulled out her compact. What a dull place, she thought. The walls a pale and vile shade of green. The heat noticeable despite the air conditioning. And sweat now clung to her back. Surreptitiously, she pulled out a tiny bottle of perfume and sprayed herself. Her mouth was dry, this air conditioning. And above them, a speaker suddenly burst into life. The news, local stuff. Another crackdown on illegal street sellers. Mystery of a dead centurion. Some policeman getting a bravery award. The usual mix of rubbish, he thought. More like gossip than news. And then Massimo whispered to her. They wanted to interview her as well. Would she be happy to do it? She acted coy. Really? Speak to me, she said, all the time furiously trying to think of an amusing anecdote. And young Leonardo graciously held out his arm, and they both followed the smiling young girl with the clipboard and into the studio. It was quite spacious and airy, and she instantly recognised Gabrielle Santorini, Rome Radio's doyen of the arts. They'd met countless times at various functions, and the two women extravagantly kissed. Both the same age, they exuded an air of confidence. They'd both been in the business a long time, and neither woman liked the other. She couldn't remember why. She, she knew it was something, but she saw the contempt in the woman's face when she'd walked in. So be it. It was just a quick visit. They'd be having lunch soon on the other side of town. A quick chat, and they'd be gone. And it was for Massimo's sake she was here anyway. That and his young protégé. They all took their seats. Headphones were placed before them, and she gratefully poured herself a glass of water from the carafe in front of her. Evian, and nicely chilled. Nice touch, she thought. The news section still droned on, this time something about Luci Lucy, the new pop sensation, another new boyfriend, the Prime Minister's son this time. Little floozy, she thought. No discretion nowadays, she thought. Everything was for public consumption. And then the producer pointed to Gabriella. He counted seconds with his fingers. She leaned forward slightly, and then her rich voice filled all their headphones. And Gabriella introduced her guests and in her usual familiar way began discussing Leonardo's new album and what it meant to him. She half listened as he held forth and Massimo waved her through the control room window. Credit to her, she may have been a bitch but she was professional. She knew how the system worked and suddenly she heard her name mentioned and she smiled and cocking her head in what she hoped was an engaging fashion, she began to speak. But as she listened to the woman's extravagant introduction of herself, she felt her left arm gradually go completely numb. Oh, her arm had done this before yesterday, in fact. 
and the sensation of return much later. It was her circulation. It was poor, she knew it. Oh, how annoying. And the tablets weren't that much help. But then, her breathing. It became more difficult, and her chest suddenly felt very tight, almost as though someone was sitting on her, and still smiling brightly, she slid from her chair and onto the floor. The room began to spin. Someone was shouting, and she heard running feet. Gabriella was suddenly beside her, and she knelt down and whispered into her ear, You slept with my husband, you cow. Her voice thin and accusatory, you bitch. The pain came again, and summoning what she felt was her last breath, she struggled to speak, and she fixed the woman's eyes with her own. And both your sons, she smiled. The woman's eyes widened, her mouth a sudden wide O, and Massimo's face suddenly appeared above her. Sweet man, she thought, and gripping his hand, she pulled herself half from the floor. I die with Rome in my heart, she said. Hmm, clever, she felt. And then the room went black. I mean, honestly, don't you just love her? The diva until the end. Anyway, that's it for today. So thanks for listening. I do hope you've enjoyed our little selection. And as you know, they come from our main platform, thestoryhive.co.uk. And you can actually hear hundreds of other stories and novels and everything that we've done and serialised. Remember, if you would like, if you could, we'd appreciate some kind of follow or like or hello on our social media platforms. But anyway, that's about it from me today. And as I always like to end, I hope the world gives you some money today. Bye now. Mm -hmm.